there are you have cats called kittens, you guys and dolls, you diesel powered disciples of cool. It is time once again for the Diesel Powered Podcast. And we are coming to you live from Geekonomicon 2015. And uh, we are swinging solid with the whole crew. And uh, I am your host, the time traveling, comic book loving, diesel pump prophet of pop culture, John Pika, also known as Big Daddy Cole, Johnny Della Rocca. Also joining me live and in person, we're just going to go on down the line. And guys, we're going to share the mic, so go ahead and pull that out and we'll pass it along. Um, we're going to start down at this end, joining us as a very special guest. One of the co-hosts of the Agent Carter Roundtable on the Diesel Power Podcast, Ken Sharky Graydon. Hey, how are we going tonight, ladies and gentlemen? Pleasure to be here with all these beautiful people. Outstanding. Also, sitting side by side is the man, the myth, the legend, the amazing Mr. Walker. Hello. Man, a few words. Yep. Also, right beside me, in the flesh, the one, the only, daring darling of the skies, Miss Daisy O'Dare. What? And for the first time ever, live, in person, Boss Larry, Larry Amiet. Hey, everybody. Now, and we have a very special surprise for all of our listeners on the Diesel Powered Podcast, listening on iTunes and Stitcher. We've been promising it and teasing it for months. Returning to the podcast, the Dresden darling herself, Ava Doll. Outstanding, and uh, we've got our, our blue microphone Yeti mic set up in the center of the floor here at Geekonomicon, so it's picking up the uh, speakers and, and all of the, uh, <laughs> the crowd noise. You, you, you've got to hear uh, Chewbacca go by here. So, um, guys, we are here at Geekonomicon 2015, and their theme this year was diesel punk and we were the diesel punk invasion um we've been doing panels for the last two days we had uh the magic cabaret performances last night where alabaster boy and ava doll brought this place to their knees it was pretty fantastic daisy o'dare made her on stage debut singing and ukulele is that a word daisy it is now and she was spectacular and um, we just had a great time. There's more to come. There's more to come. We've got another performance tonight with Big Daddy Cole and Bombshell Kittens. Uh, some more panels this afternoon, the cosplay contest. And then tomorrow, you and I, Wofford, are doing some kids magic. Um, can't wait. <laughs> Not only are we going to perform for them, but I'm going to teach three tricks to every kid who shows up. And the first 20 kids who come get free handout printed handout of the instructions for those tricks. Cool. It's a matter of very few words, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we're having to pass the mic here, so uh, if you hear a little bit of delay in the podcast, uh, Wofford will hopefully 
hopefully uh, edit it out and post, but if not, that's what's going on. You hear all the background noise. We've had a great time. Before we dive into uh, our topics of the week, uh, you guys want to share kind of what uh, you guys have seen here at Economicon that you like, what's cool, what uh, what did you uh, love the most, or what are you looking forward to the most? We'll start with you, Ava. Oh, well, I would be delighted to. Um, so it has been um, really, really wonderful uh, to be here in Biloxi, and uh, we have been very warmly received by the city, and it, is, it has just been quite delightful. Our hotel room has been lovely. Um, and uh, here at Economicon, it has just been really, really excellent. I've seen some great cosplays there. I'm staring at the inflatable alien uh, that's made out of the loose and such like this world. And um, also, I saw a just an absolutely darling uh, young man who was dressed as a satyr earlier today. Just makeup was beautifully done. He had hooks, you know, hook shoes, and everything. That that was just great. Um, so yes, and I'm uh, very much looking forward to um, just spending the rest of the weekend in this lovely city. Cool, Larry. Uh, thank you, Johnny. This has been a fantastic experience. The energy of the participants, the attendants, I mean, look at these people. Fantastic. Everybody has a great time. Uh, I just, it's all fun. It gives us a real good southern welcome, and uh, it's a great occasion. Excellent. Daisy. All right, then. Well, one of my, I've always thought Biloxi was just a nice city, just being by the ocean is a wonderful thing to be, but one thing that's really impressed me about Economicon is it just seems to have this great sense of community, and everybody is having fun. You know, it's one of those times where people are having fun, and yeah, there goes Mr. Chewbacca having fun over there. But uh, I've met a lot of people and talked to people, and um, we came here last year for the Clockwork and Catalyst, had a pretty good time, so I think this is going to become a regular thing for, for me at least. I don't know about the rest of you, but I, this is for me. <laughs> so we just had some karate kids walk by, and they like ducked because they think that like we're being filmed or something. That was adorable. That was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> they were bowing to us. Yeah, they were uh, bowing to us. I love it. <laughs> hey, you walked right through the shot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, Mr. Walker, what uh, what have you uh, loved about Economicon so far? Um, all the costumes, especially I like all the mashup of the different costumes I've been seeing, and the variety of the fan groups that we have in front of us. We have everyone from Star Trek to Doctor Who to the Royal Mentikaran Navy to the Mid-South Buccaneers over there. I can't believe you didn't scream when I said that. <laughs> Sharky, what have you liked? Um, well, for me, uh, a lot of the, the fan groups here are, are family. Uh, you know, I see a lot of the same people, uh, a lot of the local cons uh, down here in the area. So, for me, what's special about Economicon is getting a chance to spend another weekend with my con family. Everyone from the Bible first, all the uh, great steampunk uh, groups that are out there, uh, that we're all very close with each other, uh, the Phobians. The the uh, Starfleet folks. Um, for me, that's always really special. And just coming here, this is you know, the Economicon's second year, and you know they're they're knocking out of the ballpark again. And you know, hopefully, they will have many uh, great years to come. And you know, it, it was also great to introduce our first-time Norm Diesel Pump table 
and so that was uh, that was pretty exciting, and uh, we get gotten really great responses from it. Excellent, and that New Orleans Diesel Pump group has now officially jumped off of the Facebook page into real life, and you guys have started having real life social activities. Very successful first outings, and that's fantastic. We love to hear that. Um, my biggest impression about this con is the sheer size of it. You know, I didn't know what to expect. Geek and Omicron reached out to us and they said, hey, we're doing Diesel Punk as our official theme this year, and you guys are the authorities on Diesel Punk. You guys are the voice of Diesel Punk. We want you to come and put together a programming track and performances and magic and do everything that you guys do. And, you know, I was expecting, quite honestly, a con about the size of the fan group area. I, that's really what I thought it would be. A, a, kind of a smallish regional con like a, a GMX or um, you know, a Hypericon if you're in the Nashville area, you know what I'm talking about. But, but I can't even describe how big, the de I think the dealer's room is the best dealer's room I've ever seen at a con, ever. Yes. It is fantastic. A lot to see, a lot of stuff I've never seen before, and very little duplication from vendor to vendor, which I think is really outstanding. And I just want to give a hats off to Juliana McRae and her whole team. They've made Geekonomicon a huge success. And if you're listening to the podcast now and you've never been, come for 2017. You will be happy you did. Lots of fun. Um, before we dive into diesel punk and pop culture, uh, we want to mention that this morning we did actually set the world record for the most diesel punks in one room. And uh, you'll be seeing more about that on recordsetter.com. Hey, Ken Sharkey, can you hit the space bar there and wake that up? You gotta watch that. Yeah, there we go. Ooh, uh oh. Hold on. You guys talk about yourselves. Well, I was just handed the mic, so uh, I would just like to say that um, Economic One has been a great experience, and we've been received well, and I cannot wait to be back here next year. And I finally got to meet people like the legendary Ava Doll, and Larry, and Ken, Sharky. I finally get to meet all these people whose voices I've only heard in the past, so... What do you guys think of getting to meet all of each other for the first time? Oh, this has been fantastic. Uh, all the Ava, Johnny, and uh, Walkman and I have known each other for years. So, uh, this is a fantastic experience. Yes, indeed. I've enjoyed it greatly. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, been a trip. And Daisy, of course. Yeah, so it's, it's been fantastic, and, and uh, I know, Larry, you were looking most forward to meeting Ava Doll, and I don't think that she has disappointed in any way. Not in the least. She's gorgeous, but beautiful. Well, you know, Tommy, I'm not in the business of disappointing anyone. This is true. This is true. Oh, uh, you've just given Larry ideas that he shouldn't have. <laughs> Well, we are here to do a live broadcast of the Diesel Powered Podcast, and in the uh, next few minutes that we have, we're going to talk about some diesel punk and pop culture. That's uh, what our monthly roundtables surround. And um, 
it's kind of funny because last episode, Daisy said, well, hey, why don't we talk about the diesel punk or the diesel era origins of Christmas? And so Daisy has come to the table with... Well, I don't have nothing, but he told me to say nothing, so I'm not going to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, you know, a lot of the things that we, that are traditions for us now at Christmas, like certain movies, certain songs, it all started with the Diesel era, right? That's right, that's right. The, and, and the most notable, and Wofford has some extensive notes on this, is uh, our image and our conception of Santa Claus. Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the diesel era, we, we got the poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, and that kind of started it all. Wofford, what do you have on that? Well, Santa wasn't, Santa wasn't always depicted as a jolly fat man that we know today. Santa in the past has been depicted as a tall gaunt man, a spooky elf. Sometimes he dons a bishop's robe. Sometimes he even uh, wears Norsemen's animal skins and antlers. The modern image of Santa Claus comes from a few places. In 1931, the Coca-Cola company hired illustrator Hayden Sunbloom to create a Santa that was both realistic and symbolic. Sunbloom depicted Santa himself not just someone dressed in a Santa suit, which is what most people were depicting at the time. Sunbloom turned to Clement Clark Moore's poem, A Visit from St. Nick, which is more commonly known as Tis the Night Before Christmas. Moore's description led to a Santa that was warm, friendly, pleasant, plump, and human. From 1931 to 1964, Sunbloom painted Santa Claus drinking a Coke, playing with toys, raiding the fridge of homes, and greeting children who had stayed up late to see him. In the early paintings that Sunbloom did, he used his neighbor, a salesman, as the model. After his neighbor passed away, Sunbloom used himself, often painting while looking in a mirror dressed in Santa Claus suit. And this led to a few interesting mistakes. One year Santa's belt was on backwards, and another year Santa was missing his wedding ring, which led several people to write in asking what happened to Mrs. Claus. And so if you like the modern look of Santa Claus, you can thank the Coca-Cola Company, Clement Clark Moore, and Aiden Sunbloom. Outstanding! Wow. Larry, do you have any other examples of Christmas traditions that come from the diesel era? Well, a lot of it's uh, music. White Christmas, of course. Uh, the, the it is the most played Christmas song ever in history. It, well, there you go. See, I didn't know that. Uh, like it's one of the most, the song most played in history ever. The best-selling song in history ever, I believe. That could be true. We'll, we'll, our vast staff will get right on that uh, fact-checking. <laughs> Sharky, uh, this is a wonderful life, but we have movies like Was Alive, Miracle 42nd Street. Uh, we have a lot of uh, cinema that came out of that time. And the iconic images of Christmas really came out of that time. So yes, indeed. Now, I know Mr. Wofford was talking about how the modern image of Santa came from the diesel era, but there was still a Santa-like character that existed before the diesel era, but there is another Christmas-related character that was born in the diesel era I don't remember the exact year, but it was created 
for a uh, department store to, you know, help celebrate the Christmas season and to sell a storybook about him. And you might know him as a little red-nosed reindeer named Rudolph. That was, I believe, a little golden book. Okay. Yes. Yes. Of course, we had the Macy's Day Parade. Yeah, so that's right. Now we recognize that that's kicking off the Christmas season when Santa is appearing at the, at the parade. Uh, so Macy's Day Parade started during that era. And that's pretty much uh, this iconic. Now, uh, Ken, you were whispering something over here. What do you have? Well, um, during the you know, later 30s into the 40s, especially when uh, World War II broke out, uh, the glass globes that used to adorn Christmas trees primarily came from Japan and Germany. And so a company here in the States that made light bulbs had to convert their production in order to replace the glass globes uh, that were adorning trees, and unfortunately, I can't remember the name of the light bulb company. Um, but um, yeah, so that's uh, that's another tradition that, that happened during that period of time that we had to start making our ornaments that normally came from overseas here in the states. That's that's fantastic. Anybody else have any uh, Christmas traditions that were born in the diesel era? I know that uh, Ava Doll's tradition of not celebrating Christmas may have been born in the diesel era. That is not true. I actually, I can be a huge Christmas enthusiast. Uh, however, I am also a child who grew up largely in the 90s, and so most of the movies that I watch are things like Home Alone or The Muppet Christmas Carol. It's my favorite version. I know, it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful, but those are the kinds Well, during the diesel era, you mentioned White Christmas. We also got Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, lots of stuff. And Daisy has something to say about that. Well, I have something to say about It's a Wonderful Life. Does anyone know why It's a Wonderful Life has become such a strong Christmas tradition? Tell us why. Well, <laughs> When it first came out in the 1940s, it did not do very well at all. It was considered kind of a B-movie. And so, it, they did not renew its copyright, and it fell into the public domain. Ah. And since it was in the public domain in the 1970s, they started playing it a lot on TV because it, was, it didn't cost anything to air. And so people remembered seeing it on TV all the time, and soon it became where you can't have Christmas without It's a Wonderful Life because it's on all the time. And that's how it becomes such a classic. Absolutely right. Yeah, we've talked about that many times, Larry. And uh, what, what I want to really know is how did The Wizard of Oz become a Christmas tradition? They show it at Christmas on TV every year. What's the connection? Uh, you know what? A very special guest has just popped onto the scene who has the answer to this burning question about why the Wizard of Oz is considered a Christmas holiday classic. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the editor-in-chief of Pro Se Press, Tommy Hancock. 
the year was 1968. And actually what happened was, 68 was a big year for all the political things and that sort of thing. And there was a rally, Democratic rally, being held uh, in November. And if you know your history at all, it was a big, it was a big event in uh, Chicago. It had to have a lot of news coverage. So CBS cleared its entire schedule that night for this event they were covering. Turned out the event was a lot shorter than they thought it was. So very similar to It's a Wonderful Life, The Wizard of Oz was one of those things that had been sent around to all the stations. They grabbed it, they put it on, it was a huge hit. So they played it the next two years, and in 1970 it became a Christmas standard. So there you go. Outstanding! I never knew that! I feel so satisfied now! That was a very satisfying answer, yes. <laughs> Tommy Hancock, I think you've got a fan in Ava Doll. I know that Tommy is a fan of yours after your performance last night. Before then, too. <laughs> Attention attendees, if you can now know. If you're listening to the podcast, you are now hearing an announcement with a Mississippi Veterans Tag, a color of a red Cadillac, with a Mississippi Veterans Tag in the parking lot. Please come to come out for your information regarding the vehicle. All right, so uh, any any last thoughts about the, the diesel era connections and, and origins of Christmas? I know there are a lot more, but um, I think I also read that the, uh, the song Always After Christmas yes. uh, was also uh, written yeah. greatly due in part to uh, the soldiers overseas yeah. Yeah. Uh, to give them hope that they would be home one day for Christmas. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, I know there are probably some other examples we could go on all day, but we don't have all day. We only have about uh, about 20 more minutes left here live at Giganomicon. And while we're sitting here, I just noticed two things I gotta call out because they're really epic. Uh, over here at the fan tables, I saw a Jedi Snake Eyes. Or is it a Jedi Deadpool? Deadpool. It's a Jedi Deadpool. Oh my gosh, that's cool. That's a cool mashup. But then, right over here, we've got a kilted diesel punk stormtrooper wearing the uh, Royal Air Force Beret. Very cool. Love it, man. Oh man, these cons get better and better every year. Well, for those of you listening or sitting in the audience, and you're, you keep hearing us mention the term diesel punk, and you might wonder what that means. You, you haven't been setting the panels yet. Uh, diesel punk is a uh, genre style uh, of uh, literature, visual style, that celebrates the retrofuturism of the 1920s through the 1940s. And um, Larry, tell us a little bit more about the definition of diesel punk. Uh, thank you, Johnny. Well, let's see. The definition, the academic definition of diesel pump is the is a subculture and genre uh, that a uh, subculture. I keep getting told, put your mouth to the mic. That's right. We got to yes, hear you. Sir. Yes, my sir. Uh, the academic definition of diesel pump 
is the subculture or genre that combines the zeitgeist of the 1920s to the 40s with the Cisco's of the day. What does that mean in English? Uh, what that means is that we take the spirit, the culture, the images of the 1920s and 30s and we mash it, we fuse it with our modern sensibilities and tastes and we make something new and original out of that. That's deeper part. Yeah, and um, Tommy Hancock was just standing here listening to that definition with his arms folded because tomorrow we're going to do the Diesel Punk Showdown and we're going to answer this question once and for all, is it punk or is it punk? Uh, it's already answered. <laughs> oh, now it. Tommy's speaking I just have to explain it to you again. <laughs> well, when you get it right, Tommy, will accept it. When you get it right, Tommy will accept it. <laughs> Here's the problem with your wife. I don't require acceptance. I already know. Uh oh. So everyone, that's what everyone who's wrong thinks. I think it's. Why don't we just get into a wrestle? Oh, well, actually, actually, we attempted to set this up as a boxing match tomorrow. Um, we couldn't find surrogate boxers. We were actually going to <laughs> announce it as like a championship bout, but we couldn't find a set of rock and soft and robots that we were going to use to, uh, to do it. Oh, that will happen in the future. Oh, yeah, it will. Yeah, yeah it will. Oh, my goodness. I'd like to, to uh, um, present an alternative uh, battle. And that would be uh, to use the uh, the 75 gallons of Jello that I just happened to bring with me on this trip and just fill a kiddie pool and go to town. I'm in. I would like this. All in favor? Anyone? I'm in. Hi. Thank you, sir. Only, only if Ava <laughs> is the ref. You as well. Yeah, but only if you represent. You have the referee. Oh, I have the referee. Okay, no, you have to be in there. Oh wait, do I have the referee? Or have no, no, no. He is in there. He's the referee. Yes, both in. The, the winner gets to face Ava and wrestle Ava in the jello. Wait, no, I, I don't think I'm serious. First off, I did want to know why she would, why would you want to bring 75 gallons. Because she travels with 70 pounds of jello everywhere she goes. Yeah, it's like a staple. That's why you don't write yeah, contracts. Yeah, she's contracted. We have to make it. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. I get everything that I want. All of them, 75 gallons of jello. Now, we've been saving um, something for this podcast here at Geekonomicon. Um, we talked about it and teased it a couple of times in the last couple of episodes, but Daisy has discovered some new music that we're going to share with our listeners. And uh, Daisy, tell them a little bit about uh, this new find of yours. Okay, well, uh, a couple of shows back, I talked a little bit about the genre known as chap-hop, which is like hip-hop, but... You kind of have this snooty, upper-class English, English fellow rapping about the things that snooty English fellows would rap about. But it's still quite danceable, quite clumsy, you like it. And um, he uses a lot of... He uses polite language, but they also say some very impolite things. But they can get away with that because in that the way that they all do in England, they have this propensity for sounding so classy and yet saying some of the rudest things while doing so. And uh, if you are in, interested in Chapman, there is an artist that I believe falls under 
the banner of Jesus. His name is Mr. B, the gentleman rhymer. And I say he falls under the he falls under diesel punk because he has some of that posh 1920s PG Roadhouse type chap air about him. You know, he has the finely waxed mustache, the glasses, the banjo lele. He plays a mean banjo lele. And I gotta um, I gotta learn how to play one of those too because it just sounds so good when he plays it. But he he does, he, makes, he matches up sounds from the 20s with hip hop, and he has just come out with a Christmas album, and you'll never guess what the album is called. Lay it on us. Mr. B's Christmas album. <laughs> That's original. That's so original. I know. But you know what? He doesn't need an original title because all the songs are original. Now, I want to let you know. This is not the Christmas album you play for your sweet little granny or your little baby nieces and nephews. There is some yeah, adult content on it. Now, I, I, I read it. I haven't met your granny Ken. Maybe, who knows? Maybe she'd be into it. I just have to warn people in case they went out and bought it. But I have enjoyed it. Right now, you can't find it on iTunes, but you can find it on Bandcamp. And, uh, you can preview it on Bandcamp, and I've previewed it, and I've downloaded a couple of tracks, and uh, so far, I think it's going to become my new Christmas thing. Well, and uh, we've gotten permission to play one of the songs, and yes. so Wofford's going to pick one of those songs out and uh, add it to the e end of this episode. This is our Christmas episode, after all. We're going to play the song. We're going to play the song that I told you about, the one that has particular interest for you, Johnny. What's it called? All I Want for Christmas is an original Jalo with vinyl cape. <gasps> I have an original Jalo with a vinyl cape. <laughs> I'd like another one. You, do, Johnny. you better watch out for Mr. Bean, because uh, he might want it. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, hey, guys, as we, uh, Ken, you have something to add to Mr. Bean? No? I, I mean, he, he he is a you know, he is a great chap uh, artist and uh, him and uh, Professor Elemental go back and forth quite a bit and uh, you know they're they're both extremely talented gentlemen and uh, yeah now looking forward to picking up uh, his uh, Christmas album. That's that's excellent news and I'm excited. Very cool. Well, before we go, guys, I want to leave our listeners with some food for thought. And this is something that came up in one of my panels yesterday. And um, Larry, you, you were kind of intrigued by this thought. And uh, it came to me because on one of the boards, on one of the uh, forums online, there were uh, a few people who were talking about the overlap between steampunk and diesel punk and the overlap of diesel punk and atomic punk. And when I was starting to look at the timeline that people give for atomic punk. Usually it's 1945, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki through the, the, the 60s. And you know, the early 60s and then we move into the space age. And so I was kind of looking at the timeline and if that's the case, it's such a short timeline that it made me question whether atomic punk was even really a genre in and of itself, but rather more of a subgenre of diesel punk, much like deco punk is considered a subgenre of diesel punk. 
And you raise your eyebrows at that thought. Well, I mean, I agree that it's a brief period of time. Now, I, most of my listeners know I placed the end of diesel pump in Korea. It kind of fades off after World War II and dies in Korea. And I consider atomic pump starting from then up until the death of JFK to be the window for atomic pump. And that really ends the genre pump time. Now, that's an interesting idea. Uh, and it, it does raise the question, is atomic pump really even a genre? Is it maybe a sub-genre of diesel? I don't see what we call decadence in that area. You have the red scare versus fascism as being a big challenge. You have the McCarthyism, you have Rock and Roll, you have Big Bang. All the tropes of what we recognize as diesel have been replaced. Now you have the Golden Age of Television rather than the Golden Age of Radio. So, although, now, yes, their thing is on, and the Rat Pack are still doing a lot of the 40s stuff, you still have some good radio, but you have the rising star of the 50s. It's a dream thought. I'm just not there yet to uh, say that it's a self-trouble. Now, I can tell, though, that Ava has burning commentary to add to that. Oh, I, um, I guess I, um, I guess I have a look of, of intensity on my face when just listening to, uh, to Larry. Um, yeah, well, I, I really, I really agree with her what they're saying. Um, the whole, the whole pizza, rockabilly, you know, which I think kind of, it's like there's, there's blurred lines between it and Thomas Pump, I would say, between Thomas Pump and, and rockabilly, uh, car club culture. Uh, there's there's a lot of blurred lines there, and and I really I just don't get the same opulence, the same decadence that Larry mentioned from that culture as I do with diesel pump. I, I simply don't I don't quite see it. Right. Um, they're kissing cousins, but I would not say that they are the same. They they're not they're not sisters. Yeah, I mean the attitudes, the fears, the general. You know, Slackfest of the Times is so different. Well, we love their ladies. We love you, Big Daddy! We love you, Ava Dog! Okay, I don't know if you heard that, but uh, yes, we had some very lovely fans come by. <laughs> very lovely. Very lovely. They come on quite a show for us last night in front. <laughs> Robert, your thoughts? You were whispering something to me as uh, we were having that discussion. Well, the atomic punk is going to be a subgenre, any punk. It's not only punk, um, there's a term called retrofuturism, which is, it's, it's, they claim themselves as their own genre, like we claim diesel punk is our genre. And atomic punk falls right in line with the retrofuturism, which your old sci-fi movies, your old Buck Rogers, your old sci-fi movie from like the 50s. That's pretty much retrofuturism. And I've been seeing a lot of that show up at Con as well. Well, and our, the co-host who is missing here from uh, the Agent Carter Roundtable, Charles Cornell, would assert that diesel punk in and of itself is retrofuturism to begin with. Me and him will talk. <laughs> Ken, your thoughts on the subject? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really, I, I was also like, once upon a time, a, a, a popular-wearing, popular you know, cuffed jean, uh, fan of car shows and stuff like that out in Los Angeles. And, uh, and I, I do like the idea of possible uh, Adam Punk. I was actually just talking to my friend next to me here about like Fallout 4. Like, where does that fall in? Is that considered Adam Punk or is that Diesel Punk? And uh, he had a really great explanation that it's considered more post apocalyptic punk that kind of brings in. Elements of steampunk and diesel and, 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 and stuff like that. So um, I'm still definitely a part of the steampunk culture. Now I'm just dipping my toe into the diesel punk culture. Um, I, I'm taking my time going to other punks right now, so I'm, I'm doing baby steps. So I think it's exciting if there's possibly other you know genres like that, but. Uh, Right now, I'm still heavily uh, dealing with the ones that I'm currently involved with. I say, all anachronistic genres for regular people, uh, steam, diesel, and some of the more progressive are um, some of the other more obscure ones. But, uh, so, well, we'd love to hear your two cents if you're one of our listeners and you have an opinion about atomic punk being a subgenre of diesel punk. Send us an email at feedback at dieselpowerpodcast.com and uh, let us know what you think. Um, Charles Cornell, I'm sure you're listening. You can uh, chime in and um, uh, some of you other listeners, uh, let us know what you think. Well, hey guys, we are out of time. It is time for us to say farewell for this episode. I hope you guys have enjoyed hearing us live at Economicon and talking about the diesel era uh, roots of Christmas. We're going to take this discussion into one of the panel rooms, though, and we're going to talk about diesel punk and pop culture. We'll be talking about uh, the uh, Agent Carter uh, series coming up, debuting in just a few weeks on ABC and uh, talking about other examples of diesel punk in our pop culture and uh, where you can find more examples of it. So uh, if you're here live, join us in uh, the panel rooms and uh, continue this discussion. Well, thank you, Ava Dahl, for joining us for this very special edition. We missed you terribly. I have missed all of you, and, and I miss all of you that I knew, and for those of you who are, are joining, joining us, I welcome you. It's a pleasure to meet all of you. I've had just an absolute um, wonderful time. So thank you for having me. Outstanding. And Ken Sharkey-Raven, it is a pleasure to have you on our regular diesel punk and pop culture roundtable. Oh, thank you very, very much, and it's been an honor to actually put faces to voices uh, finally, so this has been a real treat for me to, to hang out with you guys uh, all weekend, so I look forward to uh, more adventures with you all. Well, very good. Well, on behalf of the entire Diesel Power Podcast crew, I will say good night for us. Until the next time, swing hard, swing often. We'll catch you on the flip side, and have a merry, merry Christmas.
comes around and the children start to make their list. They write to Father Christmas and ask for all manner of gifts. The latest Pixar's exploitation toy makes them impatient for this. So they can unwrap it and proceed to smash it to bits. But I never wrote one myself Because I never saw my first choice on the shelf They tried to help me when they bought me something else But I don't go a lot on trills and elves Because all I want for Christmas is an original charmer with vinyl cane All I want for Christmas is an original charmer with vinyl cane That's right Or the original Neil Numb When they thought he was the size of a human I remember as a flanner in New York City Perusing a toy store, then on a shelf it hit me Could it really be as I rubbed my eyes? Small in size, a cloak without lines or creases Not cloth, but plastic in construction Could this finally be the introduction to a dream year's try? I screamed inside because a chap only screams inwardly and fine So I took the package to the large cashier Full of hope and ardent cheer He leant in close and quietly implored This is not the toy you're looking for My good man, I said, you sure Jest. It's not poorly dressed in a corny vest Its cloak is as shiny as my Sunday best I know, said he, but we've done the test It's a reproduction, a homemade cape I'm afraid, my friends, you will have to wait Another year for your Christmas wish St. Nick's dished out another disc like this When all I want for Christmas is an original shower with vinyl cape Yes, all I want for Christmas is an original shower with vinyl Original Java with vinyl cave. That's right. All I want for Christmas is an original Java with 